Wednesday is Independence Day. On July 4th, 1776, our founding fathers announced their liberty in the document that we all call the Declaration of Independence. We celebrate that on the fourth day of July every single year. September of 1777, on that day, the British controlled New York City. And the Americans had lost control of about every strategic stronghold. Washington had just lost a critical battle in a place called Brandywine. The troops, as a whole, were suffering miserably from fatigue. And the situation seemed pretty hopeless. The British would later invade Philadelphia at night, causing the Continental Congress to flee by night. And later, the Continental Congress would gather together in Saratoga. On that day, a man named Samuel Adams stood before Congress to address it. And here's what he says. This is just part of it. Now, if you're an American, you would love this. No question about it. Listen to the words. He said, let us awaken then and invent a different spirit. A spirit that will inspire the people with a sense of confidence in themselves and in us. A spirit that will encourage them to persevere in this glorious struggle until peace and liberty shall be established upon a rock. We proclaim to the world our determination to die free men rather than to live as slaves. We have appealed to heaven for the justice of our cause, and in heaven we have placed our trust. Numerous have been the manifestations of God's providence in sustaining us. In the gloomy period of adversity, we have had our cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We have been reduced to distress, and the arm of omnipotence has raised us up. Let us still rely in humble confidence on Him who is mighty to save. Good tidings will soon arrive. We shall never be abandoned by heaven while we are worthy of its aid and protection. We have proclaimed our determination to the world to die free men rather than to live as slaves. That's an awesome speech if you're an American, right? We have to love that. We cherish the freedom that we have in America. And you do so today because there was a high price that was paid for that freedom. It involved bravery. It involved determination, perseverance, and the blood of patriots. Correct? In order for us to have this freedom. There was also another liberating act that brought us freedom at a much greater cost. It was a liberation that was far, far greater. It was purchased with a greater price. Listen to this declaration by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a declaration when He stood with all in attendance in a synagogue as a 30-year-old man, fully God, fully man, and he read this particular text of Scripture found in Isaiah. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet, now listen closely, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, 
he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then the Bible says he took the scroll and rolled it back up and he gave it to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of those in the synagogue were upon him. And Jesus said this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We know what took place after, right? We see redemptive, the redemptive plan being fleshed out in the, in the gospels and it reached its culmination of course when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and said these words. It is finished. To Telestai. It is finished. Jesus Christ finished the work. What do we call this? We call this gospel liberty. This is Christian freedom. It is the best and most important freedom that we could ever have. No response? Right? When we hear that phrase Christian liberty, what do we think about? Well, as good old Baptists, we immediately jump to how Christian liberty works out for us in the sense of what we can and cannot do. Is it okay for Baptists to dance? Can we... Oh, one guy was asked that one time to Baptist dance, and he said, some do, some don't, right? Do Baptists dance? What about movies? What about playing cards? What about bingo at the Baptist home? Amen? <laughs> Woo! How about alcohol and whatever else may be suspect under heaven? We list all these things out and wonder what we do, what can and cannot do. It's an incredibly huge mistake to think that Christian liberty is primarily in the terms of the gray areas that we can or cannot participate in as Christians. So if you view Christian liberty solely in the realm of movies and dancing, you actually have what we would call a minimalistic view of what real Christian liberty is. To hear those words, Christian freedom, Christian liberty, to hear that uh, doesn't, should not cause us to want to run directly to self-centered understandings of how that works out in life. Uh, you miss something that is far more important than a glass of wine uh, or plain bingo. Or whatever else you may put in that case. Real Christian liberty is deliverance in Jesus Christ through the gospel. That is true Christian liberty. It's redemption and it is liberty from the curse of the law. It is removal of the penalty of God's judgment upon you and the power of sin over your life. And in the next few weeks, we're going to flesh that out. Beginning today, which works perfect, right? With Christian liberty, our understanding of declaration of independence or true Christian liberty. We're going to start today. Today, we're not going to answer all the questions, but hopefully by the end of the fourth week we will. Where does this come from? Well, we've been preaching faithfully through the book of Acts. And I feel real sorry for you guys because y'all have endured week after week after week of exposition in Acts. I don't know how many sermons we have, but a lot. Okay? And then we dealt with the Jerusalem Council. It's very important how someone is saved. Right? And the Jerusalem, the Pharisees come down and they say, you must be circumcised and obey Moses' legislation in order to be saved. 
Paul takes off the gloves. That's what he did when it came to the gospel, right? It's worth fighting for. He takes off the gloves. He begins to stand. We hear Peter's confession and James' confession. But then we get to the response that you're saved by grace through faith alone, just like everybody is, right? Saved by grace, uh, of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But then James says, here are a few things that we think it's in order for you to abstain from. One is black and white. It's very clear. You are to abstain from sexual immorality. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians says, this is the will of God for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. But he gives some other things that are somewhat ceremonial, and we might say they're non-essentials. And it brought up that subject of Christian liberty. Thus, I thought it would be great to take four weeks in July, when most of you are vacationing it, and I think you would want to know about these things, and you will stay here in the month of July and hear these sermons. But we're going to go four weeks on Christian liberty, and it, the Bible says, here's, here's our focal text, and we're going to deal with Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, and others as we go through. But for our purposes this morning, chapter 5, verse 1, I really only have one verse to preach, but I'm going to preach 15, okay? You know, Really, I'm going to flesh out 15, but the emphasis is in verse 1. Listen to the Word of God. Galatians 5. I know your Bibles are trained that you thump it. It goes to Acts, but you're going to have to turn right a little bit to find Galatians. Here's what it says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This week is for you to... Embrace the declaration of Christian freedom. Next week it will be stand firm in that declaration. But for this week, notice that. For freedom Christ has set us free. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. Meaning you are cut off from Him. You would... You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. You hear Paul's heart for this church? Probably the very first epistle he wrote, and no doubt writing it based upon Uh, the outcome and the situation of Jerusalem Council, he says to them, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. In other words, it's not from the Lord. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul took the gloves off for the gospel, folks, and for being saved by grace through faith alone, not through the works of the law. And verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Amen. Building on verse 1, correct? Only... Here we go, Baptists. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. All Christian liberty really points to that statement, does it not? How are we serving 
one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right. Here are two reasons, according to your outline, why it's important to study Christian liberty. The first is it's a vital and important doctrine. And we may not think about this that way much. We may think, well, that's just something on the periphery, and it's not really front and center. But I want you to know today that the doctrine of Christian liberty and or the emphasis in the Bible on Christian liberty is vital and it's important. Notice, it was for liberty that Christ liberated us. It was for liberty that He liberated us. So He's telling us that the purpose of Christian liberty is so that Christ could set us free. So it's not a peripheral thing. As a matter of fact, He's going to spend much of Romans 14 discussing it. He's going to spend... Uh, time in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 to discuss it. And then, of course, we have this text in Galatians 5 all the way through chapter 6, verse 10, when Paul deals with the subject. So it is one of the most basic privileges of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so minimalistic for you just to think, when you think Christian liberty and freedom, to only think in the terms of movies and alcohol. If you think only that way, then you have a minimalistic understanding of liberty. So, it's also one of the most important implications of justification by faith apart from the works of the law. It's vital to think that way. It's very very important to understand that's Paul's thinking that Christian freedom and liberty are connected with justification by grace through faith. Not something you accomplished on your own, but accomplished through the Lord. So, again... If you're only thinking minimalistically, you're blinded to the greater reality of what it means to be saved by grace through faith and to be free from the bondage of sin and death. Number two, we need to teach Christian liberty because Paul's terminology in Romans 14 speaks of the strong and the weak. Uh, More importantly, according to your outline, there's this rudimentary conflict between the strong and the weak. You ever read that passage in Romans 14? And you say, well, what does that mean? You got the strong and the weak, and you got the strong that are uh, not abstaining, and you got the weak that are abstaining, and you got Paul's definition of uh, what the strong is doing against the weak, and vice versa. Don't bite, bat, uh, bite, don't be biting one another and devouring one another, but treat each other the correct kind of way. So basically, you don't want the weak trying to make the strong conform to them, and you don't want the strong trying to make the weak conform. To them or their image. So there's this tension with the strong and the weak that's in the body of Christ. And at FBCO, I don't sense that in a large degree, but I'm just telling you it's here. There's this tension between the strong and the weak. We're going to flesh that out in a few weeks to find out what that actually means. But the goal in understanding liberty is is not for the weak to become strong or the strong to become weak. But for the strong and the weak to learn to love each other peacefully, to coexist in the body of Christ, to not be begrudging toward one another. Because what happens? Great harm comes to the body of Christ when we misuse or misunderstand or abuse Christian liberty. Perhaps this even happened to this church in the past. I don't know. But our goal today is not to address that. So you got to come back in the weeks to come. But we will address that biblically and how it all fleshes out. Today we're concerned with that declaration of Christian liberty. 
Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. Some have called it the Magna Carta of the very Reformation. So Galatians, we believe, is probably Paul's first epistle. And there are three interrelated themes. Y'all ready? It's on your outline. How many of you got an outline when you came in? Okay, you're watching it on the board, right? There are three interrelated themes. First, there's Paul's defense of his apostleship. And why is this important? And we think back to Acts 9 when Paul is saved on the road to Damascus and one born out of due time, meaning like a miscarried fetus. He, he understands that he's so unworthy. But these Galatians would have lined up more with Peter, right? We've seen that in Acts 15. They would have lined up. But here is Paul, and they challenge his apostleship. Well, in chapters 1, all the way down through chapter 2, verse 21, he understands that the message of the gospel is at stake, and since the gospel is at stake, he needs to defend who he is in Christ. He must defend his apostleship. So these Judaizers come in behind him, and they say, No, it's not enough to be saved by grace through faith alone. You need circumcision. You need Mosaic legislation. And Paul, or dietary laws, observe the Jewish calendar. And Paul says, this is not a peripheral thing. This is important. And he begins to fight for the cause of the gospel. And he defends his apostleship. So when you tamper with the gospel, Paul felt like it was necessary to prove who he was in Christ Jesus. Would to God that he would raise up men who would not be weak or effeminate, and realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth fighting for. The truth of the gospel is worth fighting for. So he defends his apostleship. Second, he gives a defense of the very heart of the gospel in Galatians. And he'll do this in chapter 3 all the way through chapter 4. So in other words, Paul starts to say, when you mess with the gospel, you're beginning to chip away with grace. And when you chip away at grace, your very soul may be in danger of eternal torment. And that's why he uses such incredible language. You're cut off from Christ if you go back. You're, you are, uh, you're profaning grace. You're, you're doing all these things against grace. And when you do that, you're in deep, deep trouble. To want to add anything to the gospel of Christ through justification by faith alone is actually, according to Paul, to put your very soul in danger. So that's serious, right? Do you know that as Baptists and as Christians, we often get enamored with what, with what I would call a theology of a little bit. You know what that means? We know Jesus can do most of our salvation, but as long as I can do a little bit, I feel real good about it. We get enamored with that. I want you to know, folks, according to Paul, this kind of theology will sink your soul in hell. This little bit that we can do on our own. So Paul gives this incredible defense of not only his apostleship, but the very heart center of the gospel. And then finally, the interrelated part, is that he gives a defense of Christian liberty. And where does it grow out of? Justification by faith. The one definition implies the other. So in chapter 5, down through chapter 6, verse 10... He's going to give this vigorous defense to the Galatians. And he understands that their well-being is at stake. The very peace that they have between themselves and God is at stake when we start messing with the gospel. So it's very important. You'll find out that these people, Judaizers, were consumed with carnality, with the carnality of legalism. You ever heard that term? Well, you know, we, as 
majority people growing up in the south and in the down Midwest down. I mean, we're going to align ourselves with moral majority, right? So we're going to look at these things and we're going to think, whew, there's certain things you, you must obey. If we're not careful, we get in trouble. As one writer would say, you can get the right president and the right Congress, but if you get the wrong Christ, we're all in trouble. So it's not morality that saves you. And, and thus forth, we do, moral code's important, okay, don't, get, don't hear me wrongly. But the fact of the matter is, you're not saved by your morality. And so these legalists were coming in saying, you've got to keep these particular moral issues, which were more ceremonial, you must do these things. And the moral standard turned into legalism. Legalism is just as carnal as living uh, footloose and fancy free, with no moral obligation to God. Y'all do realize that, right? They're just, one is just as bad as the other. Now, again... We're going to consider today Paul's lesson of what it means and the implications of Christian liberty based upon being justified by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. What I want to do is give you a quick running commentary and then give you one point of application and we're done. Can you all handle that? All right, here it is. In verses 1 through 2 that we've just read out of Galatians, he says that going back to the law as a means of salvation will do what to you? It will enslave you. Going back to the law, submitting to certain dietary laws and or circumcision or the Jewish calendar, what will that do to you? It will enslave you. Now, we don't usually struggle with these things, right? I've never seen an interview on TV of a religious figure who was asked about circumcision. We don't want to hear about that one, do we? We don't give an invitation. If you want to come to Christ, you've got to be circumcised, right? We don't do that. But the fact of the matter is, there are so many other things that we could put in that category of slipping back into uh, certain things maybe as a means of salvation. Some people even, uh, uh, we know this, doctrinally in certain denominations, they push baptism as that uh, one-for-one sign of the covenant along with circumcision. We've taken that apart in the Jerusalem Council, right? Nothing James had to say in the Jerusalem Council had anything whatsoever to do with circumcision. I mean, to do with baptism. You would think that if that was the one for one, then of course James would have certainly mentioned baptism. But he didn't mention anything about baptism, correct? But we think uh, there are people who teach, denominations who teach, that it's essential, it's meritorious for salvation. You must be baptized. Some people even hold up the issue of church membership as a criteria. As important as being in your church is, uh, as a matter of fact, it's vitally important. In the New Testament, uh, belonging to Jesus Christ is by, in essence, belonging to the body. Can't have one without the other. But if you teach that joining the church is going to save you, then you're in trouble. Well, in verse 3, we learn that the law will universally obligate you. Did y'all read that? Man, if you pick one part of it, folks, you got to obey all of it. And James reminds us of that. The reality is that you either have to rely 100% upon the law for your salvation or 100% upon grace. And guess what? You can't obey the law. So you're in trouble. And I'm in trouble. To keep one part of the law thinking there is righteousness in it is to obligate yourself to the entire law. That's what what Paul is saying. 
We know that we cannot keep the law. It will simply condemn us every time. In 4 through 6, he tells us, going back to the law will alienate you away from Jesus Christ. What serious language. Now think about this, folks. Since it is all or nothing, either it's 100% grace or 100% law, going back to the law as a means of justification will separate you or cut you off from Christ. That's serious. Paul tells him, if you do this, you have fallen away from grace. And you know, your charismatics will take this to mean you can lose your salvation. Now the fact is, if you go away from grace, you've never had it to begin with. Right? And that's his point. You've fallen away from the only means of being saved, period. For those who want to be saved by contributing their part, the Bible says you are cut off from Christ. In 7 through 12, he makes an argument that to go back to legalism is to go backwards. He says to them, what happened to you? You were running so well, and all of a sudden you're going back. And in verses 11 through 12, we, we, have what, we find what was most offensive to Paul, and that was in preaching the law or circumcision. It actually removes the offense of the cross. Are y'all listening? You may be sleeping on me a little bit. What does Deuteronomy 18 say? Cursed is the who is hung upon a cross to a Jew. Folks, that was anathema. That's one of the reasons why they had such a hard time with the crucified Messiah. Cursed is the one who is crucified and hung upon a cross. That's very offensive language, right? To a normal Jew, without Christ, that is something that is highly offensive. You're talking about my Savior, my Messiah died upon a cross. The Bible says cursed is the one. But they didn't understand Galatians 3 language. That he became a curse for us. Not because of his sin, but because of ours. And so here's that understanding. In uh, uh, Obviously, that's promise and fulfillment in the Old Testament, which is critical for us to understand. If you don't go back to Deuteronomy, you certainly don't understand Galatians 3. The curse of the law. But here, the message of the cross, the crucified Messiah for our sins. Folks, that's a message of pure, unadulterated grace. Is it not? And that's what, you know, the, the human uh, default setting is, I have to do something to get this. That's the pride, self-centeredness in all of us. But the message of the cross is Jesus Christ accomplished it all for us. We contributed nothing to that whatsoever. Totally of grace. It's plain to see the message of the cross is a message of pure, 100% Grace. Jesus does all of it. So the gospel of faith plus plus gives us a sense of self-accomplishment and self-worth. Something that we've actually done. So these guys are preaching righteousness through circumcision. And they hated that central message of the cross. Well, i got news for you. The gospel is always an affront to our pride. Is it not? The gospel of Jesus Christ is an affront... To our pride. We bring nothing to the equation in our salvation other than rotten, stinking, dirty selves. That's what we bring to the equation when it comes to being saved. Yet that's the gospel message. If a man is to get to heaven, he is to get to heaven in one way, and that's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Period. That is the gospel of grace. If you try... To add to it or undo it, you ruin the whole thing. So Paul will argue that in the last, last section. And we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. 
Although you have liberty, it is not a license to do whatever you want to do. Right? And we're going we're gonna to look at that. Liberty doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want to do. In fact, according to those words, liberty is freedom in the Spirit. Think about this. So what does that mean? It's a life that's controlled by the Spirit of the living God. That's what freedom is. It is this liberty that we have that leads to mature responsibility. And holiness before God of which without no man will see God. Right? How you doing with the holiness thing, by the way? We might call that the holiness factor. Whew. We'll, we'll preach a series on that. Uh, not while we're in Acts like this, but we will get to it. Right? Okay. Here's the main thing I want you to take away. Embrace the declaration of Christian freedom. And that's 5-1. I love the NLT. Catch this. You need to embrace this this morning. Listen to the NLT in verse 1. So Christ has really set us free. Now, make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Good translation. Thought for thought. Embrace the declaration of Christian freedom. It was for liberty that Christ came to liberate us. This is not a peripheral thing. It's not a secondary thing. It's important. He liberated us. For Paul, there was only one liberator. And it wasn't the law of Moses. Right? It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the law. It wasn't anything else. There was absolutely one liberator for Paul. And who was it? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said it like this. I have come to set the captives free. Do y'all remember way back to that beginning introduction? When Jesus stood and said this, he came to do this. He also said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And the ones that the Son frees are free indeed. Only Jesus can do this. Notice, it's the Son that sets us free. Now what is presupposed if you're going to get liberty and freedom? Think with me, we're trying to land the plane, okay? I'm going to pick back up if you don't listen. It's going to be a false landing. Right? What's presupposed if you must be liberated? You're in bondage. Correct? That's presupposed. And of course, boy, does Paul ever knock it out of the park in Galatians to teach us what it means to be in bondage. Did you all read this? The Bible tells us here, in chapter 3, of course, you've got to go back to chapter 3 to see it, and chapter 5. But the fact is, the message of the Bible is that we were in bondage to the power of sin and the curse of the law. Something we could not escape. This is like the atomic bomb to Hiroshima. Really, it is. Because we are under the curse of the law, bound fast in our sin, and we absolutely cannot escape our position. We come into this world this way. As Wesley wrote in his song, Fast bound in sin and nature's night. That's our condition. We came into this world bent towards sin. We're not born with a desire to want or pursue God. Did y'all know that? The Bible says in Romans 3 that no one seeks God. Not even one. It actually says there is none righteous. No, not one. We're not born with a desire to go after our God and to magnify Him. We want to satisfy self. 
We want to live for me. I want to be the captain of my own ship and the master of my own life. We are under the penalty of the power of sin. But the Bible also says not only that penalty, the power of sin, but the absolute power of the curse of the law upon us. God says, I've told you how to live. I've summed it up in ten words. Now go live it. But here's the deal, you can't live it. Y'all realize that, folks. That's the requirement. And because you can't do it, you're damned. Our obligation coming into this world is not for ourselves. Folks, that's true for everybody ever born. Period. The fact of the matter is, the obligation is to the God who made us. Yet we come into this world serving self, seeking self. Uh, We violate the holy law of our God and we become a debtor to that law. And we fall under the curse. The Bible says that we're under that curse. It's a condition that we come in when we're born. You don't come in as a blank slate, no matter what you're learning in college. You don't come in as a blank slate. You don't come into this world, as Luke Bryan says, basically as a good person. You don't, no matter what Luke Bryan says in his song. All people are basically good. No, that's not true. We're all sinners. We're all separated from God. This is the condition that you came into in this world. We come into this world defying God. You know, our song is, I will not have this God rule over me. Folks, you know, the ones of you who are saved, you remember what it was like to be lost, right? Don't look at me looking like a calf at a new gate, right? You know this, that it took the quickening of the Spirit to move you from that place of defiance against God to humble obedience to the Master. Living for Jesus. So we, we understand in Romans 1.18 that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We suppress that. We're not truth seekers. The only answers we seek is how we can manipulate. So that we have a good life in our own understanding. That's true, isn't it? That's what we do. And you're saying to me, well, pre- preacher, what you're saying is really old-fashioned. That's archaic. Can I ask you a question? Uh, Since when has mankind ever changed? Are we much better today? Really? Have y'all watched the news? No, it's lived out in reality. If you don't know Christ, the flesh is your God. You don't have it two ways. You can't have it more. You only have it one of two ways. Jesus made this clear. You're either of your father the devil, or you're saved and and you belong to the father. There's no middle ground there. So... Paul is letting them know that you're either serving the flesh or you're saved by grace through faith and you're serving the Lord. Now catch this. If you're sitting there on death row and you have the death sentence signed by the judge, sealed by the state, and your time of death has been written across the top, what you want more than anything is to be freed from the death sentence and pardoned for all your crimes and released. Hallelujah. Right? Folks, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that's exactly where you see yourself. Today, without him. It's signed, sealed, and delivered unless you're pardoned by Christ. There's absolutely no way to remove that death sentence, spiritual death, unless Jesus Christ himself takes your place. Why? Because according to the Bible, not just my opinion, which I believe it, but according to the Bible, we're under the, we're under the power of sin and the curse of the law. So if we get eternal damnation, that's exactly what we deserve. Mankind, we don't like to hear that. If God is good and loving, we don't deserve that. But we're missing the, we're missing the side of the holiness of God, aren't we? Amen. 
We're missing the side that He is absolutely our Creator. So some of you are saying, well, preacher, I can do better. And I understand I'm a little bit selfish ever so often. I'm going to keep trying to keep the Ten Commandments a little harder. Folks, I want to tell you, good luck with that. Just good luck with that. The fact is, when an individual gets an awareness of the judgment of God upon his or her life and turns to the law to try to live it to appease God, you're really doubling your condemnation before Him. You're actually in worse shape than you were before. Remember, the Bible says all our righteousness, all your efforts are as filthy rags before the Lord. That's amazing. I mean, that just makes you sit back on your heels. Lord, is that really true that all of my righteousness that I think I can give toward gaining heaven or right standing with you is as a filthy rags? But that's exactly what the Word says. So what do we need this morning? Let's cut to the chase. We need to be set free. Right? We need to be set free. The message of the gospel is Christian freedom. And what is it? It's nothing less than the Spirit of God coming to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ And breaking the chains of sin and releasing us from the curse of the law. And setting us free to be His children. That's awesome. That's not a minimalistic understanding of Christian liberty, is it? It's to understand who we are in Christ. He gave Himself for our sins. Galatians chapter 3. Rescued us from this evil generation. You know, there's a day appointed where all people will be judged. There's a day appointed. And the only way... To escape that judgment is to be saved by grace through faith in the one who gave himself for us and our sins. All who are of the works of the law, all those who are not of faith, are under the curse. That's where we were without Christ. Under the power of sin and curse. The end of the curse is final separation from God. Why? Because no one can obey the law. Nobody can. It's an airtight argument. God requires perfect obedience. And we can't live the law perfectly. But Jesus did. We forget this part of the gospel, but he lived in full obedience to his Father and never one time sinned. And when you yoke yourself to him, then you have obeyed the law of God perfectly through Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's what real justification is. You can never obey the law. Jesus Christ obeyed it perfectly. When you trust in what He did and His justification and His righteousness is applied to your life before the Father, you have obeyed the law perfectly. And without that, there is no salvation. So, do you understand the implication of justification by faith together with Christian liberty? Only Jesus kept the law perfectly. And you have been made righteous by grace through faith. If the law could have imparted this, y'all remember this verse? then there would have been no need for the promise. Thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. Thank God for the promise. In conclusion, here's your liberty. Listen to 3.13. The Bible says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham, there's the promise, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through Baptism? Through circumcision? How do you get it? Through faith. Y'all got this? Do I need to preach this again next week? You got the first aspect to embrace your Christian liberty through Christ. He came and saved you from the situation wherein you absolutely had no help. 
but no hope. And Jesus was your help. The curse has been removed. How? The Bible says it. He became sin, forsaken by God. He was forsaken in our stead. How does freedom come to us? It comes through redemption. That He paid for us. Let's consider once again those who have given so much for the freedom that we enjoy today to come to this church and worship. It was the very blood of the patriots. Our freedom spiritually comes at a greater cost. It was the cost of the blood of the Son of God who became a curse for us in our place on Calvary. That's true Christian freedom. Amen. Amen. So let freedom ring this morning. It rings from the hill of Calvary. Let's pray. God, we thank you. I know, Lord, that for some this was different terminology. It was wading through a text that's difficult to understand apart from an understanding of the Old Testament. Father, I know this, but it's your truth and it must be preached. Lord, where it all hits the road is the fact that if we're trusting in anything other than your finished work on Calvary to save us, if we're adding to or taking away what Jesus Christ fulfilled for us fully by grace, then we are putting our souls in peril. Lord, Paul makes that unequivocally clear. If you try to put one part of the law into the system of being saved, into the act of Christ fulfilling all that He came to fulfill, then we're obligated to keep the whole law. And the Bible says if you're doing that, you're cut off from Christ. If you seek circumcision as a way of salvation or being good or morally a good person, then you're cutting yourself off from Christ. The fact is we're all under sin and under the curse of the law and we must be redeemed from out from under it. Your word says that in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Lord, that's what you've done for us. You've purchased us by paying a price. Lord, what a great day it would be if you would sovereignly reach down and touch someone's heart, quicken their spirit, let them understand their sinfulness and magnify your beauty before them. What a great weekend that they could declare their freedom, not based upon independence in a country, but they could declare their independence and freedom in the spirit because they've depended upon Christ and that you've saved them. Truly, our independence comes from total dependence upon Jesus to save our souls. May someone do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.